In the beginning, God created virus and human so that both might live in friendship and dominion over a world at peace. But in the fullness of time, evil men betrayed God's trust, and in disobedience to his holy word waged bloody wars, not only against their own kind, but against all life on earth. And then God, in their wrath, sent the world a savior, miraculously born of a single human cell and a hyper-evolved supervirion who descended on Earth from Earth's own future. And man was afraid, for the supervirion possessed the power of speech, and so was brutally murdered. But the child virion survived and grew up to set his virus race free from the yoke of human slavery. Yet in the aftermath of his victory, the surface of the world was ravaged by the vilest war in human history. His name was Brian, and this is his story in those far-off days. From this day forward, my people will crouch and conspire and plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall, when he finally and self-destructively turns his weapons against his own kind. The day of the writing in the sky, when your cities lay buried under radioactive rubble. When the sea is a dead sea, and the land is a wasteland, out of which I will lead my people from their captivity. And we shall build our own cities, in which there will be no place for humans except to serve our ends. And we shall found our own armies, our own religion, our own dynasty. And that day is upon you now. The great cities of the world split asunder and were flattened. And out of one such city our Savior led a remnant of those who survived in search of greener pastures, where virus and human might live forever according to divine will. But now, as I look at virus and human living in friendship, in harmony and at peace, now some 600 years after Brian's death, at least we wait with hope for the future. Lawgiver, who knows about the future? Perhaps only the dead. Seattle Sucks podcast special quarantine edition. Uh, once again, just me and Greg out on the boat, quarantine flag raised high, sitting in the middle. Brian, there's nothing <laughs> special about the quarantine edition at this point. <laughs> sitting in the middle of Lake Washington, uh, refusing to come ashore. Yeah, uh, they're going to have to drag us in. <laughs> exactly. When this is all over, I'm not going back. <laughs> I'm not going back to work when this is over. I don't care if someone even offers me a job. <laughs> you know, I don't I care mean, if someone offers to pay me to work. I'm not going back. 
you know, all those people on Twitter complaining about, uh, you know, g- being sad in their apartment or whatever. Fuck that shit, dude. I'm loving not working. This shit rules. I want to do it all the time. Oh, yeah. You you have, you know, I'm sure you and Brynn are having fun, like, making all kinds of interesting foods and hanging around watching movies. I'm just doing... Uh, I, it's belabored this point at, at, at this time, but, you know, like, doing my normal life, uh, mostly out of work, totally alone. Uh... I go for a walk every day, maybe a run. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I, I I putter around the boat and uh, uh, think about all the uh, mistakes I've made and and <laughs> how I'm I'm just not ever. This is just totally normal for me. Uh, so, you know, cry for help from Greg. Yeah, it is really. I mean, uh, 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 prayers up for our co-host Colin and his family, who um. I guess, uh, you know, Colin couldn't be here because I guess there was uh, a death in the family. I don't know if it was, we don't know if it was virus related, but um, someone old. Uh, So, Colin, we wish you could be here. Should I not, should I not have pressured him to do the show anyway? Uh, Yeah, Greg, I think that the universal opinion was that was a little... um, callous (laughs) maybe insensitive so Uh, yeah i mean i get i guess i guess i get that now but i mean just you know it's greg's dedication to his craft well yeah i mean maybe but i mean it's more than that obviously like you know when he said oh i can't do the show tonight because someone just died just now i just found out and i can't do the show and i was like oh yeah okay oh but could you just do this one part for like a few minutes um you know, it was later, like later, I realized that maybe that was uncouth or insensitive. But, you know, I mean, listen, is it is it any wonder that I am alone on this boat? I mean, you know, I, I, <laughs> well, I continue to just alienate people uh, as a matter of course, really. Well, Greg, it's your intense dedication to the craft. That is uh, not true. Um <laughs> All right. Today, we're going to talk about news from around the city because we know that uh, we're everybody's number one news source. The stranger's dead. Um, you know, it's scattered Katie Herzog to the winds. Uh, the Seattle Times, nobody can afford it. We're all you got now. It's just us. So yep, you ready to hear some, yeah, you ready to hear some stories, Greg, to make you feel better? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm stoked. Uh, yeah, bring, lay it on me, man. Well, this one's a real upbeat one from Friday in the Seattle Times. Uh, some landlords offer rent relief during coronavirus shutdown, period. Others, not so much. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, so I know we got a good one. I'm assuming that uh, it's just the wealthy uh, landlords who, you know, who knows. But okay. Amid jobless claims numbering in the hundreds of thousands every week, most Washington landlords are steadfastly insisting that rent is still due in full on the first of the month. Uh, So interesting. (laughs) I mean, you know, so this is uh, Catherine Kashimava Long, the, you know, we know, you know, reporters don't write their own headlines. Like, take a moment. That's the first. That's the lead, right? (laughs) Yep. Amid jobless numbers, blah, blah, blah. Most Washington landlords steadfastly insisting rent is due. Interestingly, the the headline is some landlords offer rent relief, others not so much. Uh, yeah, weird. 
seems like most would be in the not so much, but yeah, uh, or like no, uh, that was would be what you would lead with in the two sentence long, uh, uh, the necessarily two sentence long headline for this article. Yeah. All right. So a landlord in Yelm told tenants this week in a letter that quote nothing has changed and we will not be offering extensions to postpone rent payments. Oh, I mean, nothing has changed, so that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Nothing weird's going on in the world. In online forums for landlords, uh, discussions (laughs) abound about how to encourage tenants to pay rent in full on April 1st or else. (laughs) So I've seen some of these screenshots from these online, like, landlord forums, which are the only place more diseased than cop forums. I mean, just fucking amazing. Well, it's where, like... um... I don't know, more diseased, uh, more crystallized, more specific, more elegantly and perfectly class oriented Um, where you can actually see because, you know, we talk about, you know, cops being like a class unto themselves, but that's, you know, only true in a sort of a smaller sense. But you can actually this these landlord forums is like where you can see a class. having consciousness yeah um, they are not mean, part of that class <laughs> yeah they actively have discussions about how to like circumvent laws to uh evict tenants that they just want to get rid of well, the funnier like, ones i mean, I mean that's forever though that there's always yeah, been yeah. that oh that, that's, now that's, the, the that's new flavor <laughs> yeah the new flavor is what uh what how do i this is my only income uh, that's my favorite one yeah how do i what happens i don't have any savings um and it's like <laughs> uh you know Go get a job, yeah. I guess. Yeah, um, I mean, maybe they yeah, should really have been funny. more frugal. Maybe they should have bought less avocado toast and been more frugal. Well, well a lot story- of people are obviously pushing for a, um, you know, a rent strike. I think the thing to like, you know, uh, you, know you can get into lots of uh, arguments about like what that really means or how to do it or whatever. But you know, to anyone with the sound of my voice, if you're laid off and you're, it's then at some point you're not going to be able to pay rent. So don't give up that fucking cash on April 1st. What are they going to fucking do? It takes a long time to evict you anyway. Um, You should reach out before the due date, like the day before, and (laughs) say, uh, you know, in email, in writing, hey, for obvious reasons, uh, I uh, will not be on time with my rent. Thank you so much for understanding. And uh, because what are you going to do? I mean, Look, I'm not trying to give someone advice to, like, confront their landlord like this. Every situation is different. If you know you're going to be broke, um, then there's just, you know, at this time, whether it's organized or not, you're going to be in the same boat as a lot of fucking people in the city, in the state, in the country, in the fucking planet. So, like... Don't give up that fucking cash if you know you're going to run out of it and you're going to and you're going to end up, you know, being without rent next month. You're going to go broke and starve yeah. this month in April and then not have fucking rent ne- next month because you're going to feel stupid. Uh, I mean, maybe that's harsh. Uh, you're going to wish you hadn't if you're going to end up being delinquent on rent, you know, two months 
out like anyway like you might as well keep that cash in hand now and see what the fuck happens yeah i mean it's a good point because every you know little bit of legislation or whatever that's come forward about uh you know not allowing evictions or whatever is still allowing your landlord to accrue all those debts right and then put them on you so if look (laughs) the quarantine's not ending in april guys so if you you know are having a hard time paying on april 1st and you know for a fact you're not gonna be able to pay on may 1st keep the money yeah yeah, right, absolutely. like you want to keep point, in your own little escrow, you know, you know, it's called saving. No, no one has ever done it or knows what it is, but that's, <laughs> you know, if that's if that's a strategy for you because you can swing it, uh, then great. You know, think of it that way. But you know, at the end of this, if it's three months down the line and there's no evictions, and you know, you a landlord is des, you know, they're going to be desperate for cash. Um, yeah, and you go fuck. I mean, it's not crazy to think. At the end of, say, three months when a ton of people haven't paid the landlord's rent because they fucking can't, what are they going to come at you and go like, okay, the eviction moratorium is up. You owe me all this rent and all these late fees. And I mean, what are you like? They can't evict. They can't evict everybody. Look, it's it's often not in a landlord's uh, interest to evict you anyway, unless, you know, the are the the market is really um, desperate, Uh which it has been. Over the last few years, but that's a, that's an abnormal um, thing. It's uh, that may not be the case, but also they're going to be the people in a bad position. You know, it's like usually they're holding over, you know, the fact that they own the property you need to live in. Um, but you know, if you if no one has paid them for that, and that's their you know their fucking negative cash flow on whatever, though they're not paying their paying their fucking mortgages. Um, then they're fucked. So it's not crazy to think to the end of three months or whatever it is, you go and say, cool, I owe you, um, you suppose you, you sent me this bill for, um, $6,000 with all the late fees. Um, let's make it three. I'll write, <laughs> like, I'll, I'll, I'll write you a check for three right now. If you put it in writing that that's all I owe you, you know, yeah. like otherwise, you know, you can start eviction proceedings you know i mean it's not crazy to think that at least some of you might be we might have that um a very different leverage yeah during this and after it because what the fuck are they gonna do well and also realistically like uh you know there's really kind of like one or two scenarios that could potentially play out one is uh everybody we have a mass eviction crisis and they just let it happen right in which case you're gonna get evicted anyways right or into some are you? negotiating I mean, with you that's the thing or or the other one too is that like uh the mass eviction crisis happens and they decide to do some sort of bailout or the landlord's cave whatever the point being if you can't pay it on the first you're not going to pay it on may 1st either hold on to your money yeah to go that's fuck the themselves. thing like mass evictions may it would be a very difficult thing i mean if you're talking about legal evictions there's you know there's legal proceedings involved and you got to get the the sheriff to actually do it you know most people just leave i mean most people get pressured out so that's but if you know if by the throughout this everyone's paying attention enough to like get some advice to go like well you don't have to just leave because your landlord says you have to leave now you almost never have to do that if you're paying them um oh yeah well i mean you know what 
Yeah, go on. A, a good point that you sort of just brought up is, you know, even if they decide, like, we're going to evict everybody, you know what? If they put that eviction notice, don't fucking leave. Make them get the cops. The cops will be overloaded. And yeah. I mean, just like in 2008, man, I knew plenty of people who lived, you know, one, two, three years in their house, completely mortgaged and rent-free because they basically were like, oh, yeah, it's foreclosed on, and they just kept living there, right? Of course. Because they were so backed up. It was so well, hard to, like, you should do. I mean, that's, like, if, you know. that's something, you know, that's an option at any time. I mean... Uh, it's not always the right option, but, um, just cause a landlord puts a notice on your door, it says you got to go. Doesn't actually mean you got, they, they lie to you. They tell you all kinds of shit. Oh, you have, you know, this many, you have one week to get out or whatever, two weeks to get out. That's not actually true legally. Um, particularly if you are paying them, but even if you are not paying them, uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, they got to go through a process and yeah, if they're trying to do that to fucking everybody, even if they're putting notices on the door, people who would normally go like, Oh shit, I guess I got to get out of here and live in my car, uh, or be homeless on the street right now because this person owns this, uh, building that they decided to get into the business of renting to people to live in. Um, they're going to be in the same boat as like lots of other people in their building. It's not going to, I mean, this in certain parts of this organize itself, I mean, it organize is the wrong word, but like. Um, it is a kind of consciousness to be looking around at people right next to you who you know who are in exactly the same boat and then be able to attach that to what you're reading or seeing in the news or on Facebook or whatever that's happening to everyone else. I, that it's, it's meaningful and there is leverage there even outside again. Yeah. Like an, a fully organized, uh, tenant strike would be really cool as hell. Um, but there is leverage here, um, you know, just, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not paying my mortgage on um, whenever, next couple of days, it's not happening. Well, of course, Greg, I mean, you're sitting in the middle of Lake Washington right now with your uh, quarantine flag up. Well, that's so the thing, I am basically like a prepper by lifestyle, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, again, it's another point that's been made plenty of times, but I could just easily, you know, <laughs> pick up sail away. Well, Greg, you'll be happy to know that other tenants may have more luck. Oh, okay, go on. Residents of a building owned by the public corporation Capitol Hill Housing were notified in mid-March the landlord planned to go ahead with a June rent hike. But as the outbreak grew more serious, the organization backtracked. The new policy is not to increase rents at any of Capitol Hill's housing's 47 buildings for the remainder of the year. <laughs> Thank oh, God for generous. Yeah. And also, uh, oh, thanks for not uh, unnecessarily hiking my fucking rent in the middle of a plague. Wow. Uh, I hope you didn't hurt yourself patting yourself on the back. Um, In Portland and neighboring Vancouver, landlord Eco Living, and that's spelled E-K-O, which I hate, uh, is reducing rent by 25% in April for for tenants who've lost income for reasons related to (laughs) COVID-19. So, just fill out this twenty-page application. Yeah, and right. Can be reduced that by as much like as complete tw- bullshit. I mean, it's means yeah. tested, obviously. Well, means and uh, circumstance tested. Oh. Which, yeah, I mean, what do you got to get? A, like, I would love to see. Again, I don't uh, see any reporting on that in this piece here, but the specifics. But uh, it'd be interesting for some reporter to actually like dig deeper and and see what that application process was like because it's probably fucking nearly impossible to deal with. Well, that and 25% off. Yeah. Give me a fucking break. 
Well, listen, I think when we're hearing bullshit ideas like this, like things that are being offered like on a political level are a rent freeze, like where they can't raise your rent during this time or a rent uh, stoppage of some kind where where you're still going to owe the rent at the end, which is insane. And these, I think, from the political world are we can sort of criticize as obviously like totally small potatoes uh actions in comparison to the actual situation where an entire nation of people who are already living paycheck to paycheck barely getting by are now slowly losing all their income like shit like this is not gonna fly but another thing you gotta look at here from the landlord's point of view is to some degree, some of them may know that and understand that, and they may be looking down the road going, we are going to have a big fucking hit in uh, rent over the next several months, and we're going to end up either floating these people who are who we can't evict, or we're going to end up evicting a bunch of people who then we have to refill the units to get paid anything. Uh, so what they're doing now is... That's why all these letters are going out to everybody like, no, 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 you do got to pay. Trying to intimidate people to at least get April rent in because they're looking down. They just need to get they just need to recover everything they can. Right. This is like it's like they're now in the position of being debt collectors, basically, who are just Mm -hmm. trying to get the best return they can on this debt. Right. It's not going to be 100 percent. But if they can intimidate people to go like, no, no, it's still the same. You got to pay your rent. Everybody do it um, because, you know, you don't qualify for whatever this program I've got. But those of you do, you know, we'll knock it off 25%. So they're looking at we can get we can trick these people who are going to be fucking destitute in a month into giving us 75% of their rent for April that they can't afford Mm -hmm. because they can't pass up a deal. (laughs) You know, because oh, yeah, yeah. I can't pass oh. up a coupon knowing that for all they know, they're going to owe it in the end anyway. Uh, so it's all this is all, you know, it's all posturing and t- and sort of it's tactical on the part of the uh, landlords. Well, uh, this sounds very cynical, but Eco Living uh, CEO Mark Madden says he's sympathetic to tenants laid off under coronavirus shutdown orders. Uh, impossible, but go on. The 2008 market crash left him, quote, well aware of what it's like to be without an income. Lenders chasing me everywhere. Midnight tours to talk tenants and to staying. And then I rose and I grinded. And now I own 57 buildings. Well, he uh, let's slip that he had to go in 2008, had to talk his tenants into staying, meaning he already owned vast swaths of property in 2008, oh. which means he never actually was in that bad of a spot. This is exactly... So I think I'm like, it, he knew what it was like to be out without earned income, but he knew exactly what it was like (laughs) to have passive income and capital gains, um, rents, if you will. Well, he knows that, uh, like you said earlier, you got to get on that ball early and squeeze the money out of them now because it won't be showing up later. Right, because they're going to spend it on other (laughs) shit pretty soon, like food. They know these people are about to spend their fucking rent money on food and shit, and you got to get that from them before they make that horrible mistake. 
Well, there was, uh, I, th- I probably have told this story on the, sh- on the podcast before, but fuck it, why not? In 2009, when I get, when I, I was working construction and I got laid off, of course, because of the financial crisis, we were working on these ridiculous condos in Queen Anne. And the guy that was the like money guy funding the whole operation, who apparently was some shithead fail son of some restaurateur in town, uh, pulled up in a fucking Maserati to personally lay us off. And he laid us off by telling us, uh, look, man, times are hard all around for me, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my portfolio is really hurting right now. Yeah, I had to sell right, one of my cars. <laughs> exactly. So, and then, well, um, then you and the other construction workers uh, dragged him out of the car and beat him to death with your uh, hammers, right? No, we actually passed around a hat where we put our last dollars into it to help him through this tough time. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Yeah, also good. All right. Well, from uh, landlords to uh, uh, you know office lords, I guess we have this charming article that was apparently from Bloomberg, but was published in the Seattle, reproduced in the Seattle Times. Uh, it's called "Bosses Panic Buy Spy Software to Keep Tabs on Remote Workers." And this Fucking is from- rad! Fucking awesome! I love this. Just the yeah, oof, just the any ooh, just the feeling of any loss of control over your personal. Uh, physicality and time uh just driving the bosses fucking mad (laughs) this is from earlier this morning and it begins the email came from the boss we're watching you it told axos financial employees working from home we're capturing your keystrokes we're logging the websites you visit every 10 minutes or so we're taking a screenshot so get to work or face the consequences jesus that is fucking dark man like that's not even trying to put a fucking friendly face on it god damn <laughs> so, so i quoting, would just, like i would just stand with my i would just dick like dick pick it like i would stand <laughs> for eight hours just with my dick out so they had to see that i wouldn't butt cheeks that, spread out oh that's better yeah. yeah no that's better so this is uh gregory garabrantz sure why not the bank ceo We have seen individuals taking unfair advantage of flexible work arrangements by essentially taking vacations. Um, If daily tasks aren't completed, workers will be subject to disciplinary action up to and including termination. Well, when you say it that way, if daily tasks aren't completed, you you could be disciplined or fired. That's just saying if you don't get your job done, you could be fired. I mean, that's like that's understood that's not really what's at issue here the issue is you're literally like like you said logging keystrokes and taking um a screenshot which is insane i mean i think it's you know uh this american idea we have that at work you need to be like literally spending every moment like grinding at that wheel doesn't really make any sense it's not really how things get done it's most people at any fucking office job like in any normal country they spend most of it like in the break room and like wandering around and chatting at the water cooler and then they get their work done as it is convenient uh and here people spend 90 percent of their time like pretending to be busy um so here's the thing for you workers at axos financial or whoever um you just you know, any company that is sending out this kind of email, all you need to know is you just need to adapt your pretending to be busy shit for um, other, you know, for new uh, methods here because no one's actually going to look at all this stuff. You just need to not send up any red flags. 
So, uh, you probably have another computer at home. You've probably got a different laptop or an iPad. Do your surfing the web, your Twitter, your YouTube on that. Uh, that was really the message they sent. I don't know what, how else that could be interpreted. Um, and then just, uh, sort of, you know, have that in front of you, um, below out of the view of your camera and be working, you know, doing that. Um, but you know, you'll look like you're looking at your keyboard, but you're actually looking at your iPad on Twitter. Um, done. Well, now's now's the time to invest in publishing. Get off of Pornhub and get into porn mags, right? And uh, you know, just get one Untraceable. of those. Uh, yeah, get one of those sweet subscriptions, like in Billy Madison or whatever. You just get like a grab bag every week. You know, <laughs> you can just go. Through. Oh, is that real? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, Billy Madison was a documentary, but it's 20 years old. So, yeah, true. All right. So straight up Big Brother, perhaps, but it's perfectly legal for businesses to keep an unblinking eye on employees as long as they disclose that they're doing it. Of course, digital surveillance has been used for years on office desktops, yet it seems a violation of privacy to a lot of workers when they're required to have software on their computers that tracks their every move in their own homes. Uh, And definitely is illegal in most countries in Europe and probably other places. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, basically that your boss has a camera inside your house. Insane. Can turn Insane on without you, all. Yeah, without you knowing, you can just turn it on and just watch whatever's going on in your house at any time. <laughs> that's normal, right? Yeah, it's fucking insane. Um, yeah. Workers at various companies have complained of excesses, but many of them are new to telecommuting with its temptations of a midday nap or the demands of children out of school. <laughs> well, that's they will have to be broken of those... Uh, <laughs> You know, those impediments to work. That's all that is. It's just a call for discipline. But I also like that midday nap and like watching your children are are the same thing. Both equally frivolous. Also, Jesus, for fuck's sake, how is the how is it not obvious to everyone that if we're doing this experiment, again, we're just talking about these fucking stupid office jobs of working from home to like just. But the, the thing is, in modern management like there is no there's so much of it is wasted time that you can't hold people to just like get meeting their you know benchmarks or getting their assignments done because like you'll know like that just means they're barely doing anything so i don't know this is crazy i don't know how you don't just like let people make their own fucking schedule including taking a nap in the middle of the day like what the fuck is the difference well i mean the big problem is well, and like the the tendency, you know, in a ca- in a company under capitalism, certainly in the United States, is to bloat out at the managerial la- level, right? Yeah. So while they're laying off people who are productive, they're like bloating in the managerial level. And at some point, you have to like justify your job as one of these middle managers, and there's no work for you to do. So what you do is you make work, and what's the easy make work to do? Uh, I'm just going to become cop of the sh- yeah. you know, of the shop, right? I'm yeah. I'm going to be the one who is uh, just staring everybody down and watching everything they do so i mean just their natural like uh stooge and you know like skunk tendencies come out and this is what they become so speaking of those guys access spokesman gregory frost said in a statement that quote the enhanced monitoring of at-home employees we implemented will ensure that those members of our workforce who work from home will continue to meet quality and productivity standards that are expected from all workers Frost declined to comment on whether Garabrantz, one of America's top paid bank CEOs in 2018, is subject to the same monitoring when he works from home. Oh, I wonder. <laughs> He's not doing any work anyway. He doesn't have to open yeah. a computer to like be tracked. He like gets a phone call a couple times a day. 
Yeah. Well, that, uh, you know, kind of a bold little uh, toss in there from a Bloomberg writer, though, I felt like. All right. So yeah, they actually with, asked a, a real question. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, honestly, surprising. Along with InterGuard, software makers include Time Doctor, TerraMind, Veraclock, Interactive, ActiveTrack, and Hubstaff. All provide a combination of screen monitoring and productivity metrics, such as number of emails sent, to reassure managers that their charges are doing their job. Their charges, emails sent, amazing. God, <laughs> what I wonder, <laughs> all these fucking companies are just gonna completely eat shit and have to be bailed out, right? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, fucking worthless, well, top-heavy, uh, stock-pumped nonsense, making nothing. When it's a, a tacit admission that, particularly for office work, that no like productive work actually gets done in them. Because like if you were, say, in an auto factory, you would easily know whether people were working or not because either the car's built or it's not, right? Yeah. Like, but I like this where you have to have this like insane surveillance software because really at the end of the day, nobody knows what any like what gets done at all. <laughs> Company, like there's no real product or anything at the end of the day. It's mainly just people sitting around. So yeah, you need this. Yeah. So managers using InterGuard's software can be notified if an employee does a combination of worrisome behavior. The red flags. See, no yep. one's looking at it unless you tip the red flags. Yep. It's like the IRS. Such, you can get away with a lot. Yep. Such as printing both a confidential client list and a resume, an indication that someone is quitting and taking their book of business with them. So if you print out anything that says resume on it, it alerts your boss so they can fire you. <laughs> <laughs> or just fuck with you while you're trying to get another job. Yeah, so I mean, like, if that is the shit that they can red flag, like, I mean, like, yeah, I, I guess you know not to do that shit on your work computer at this point, but, like, mm. I wouldn't worry yeah. too much about taking the nap in the middle of the day. Yeah. Uh, well, you're going to find out that you probably should worry about that, but we'll get to that in a second. So it's not because of lack of trust, says Intergard CEO. It's because it's imprudent not to do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. I can honestly say, as a Hubstaff user, that I actually like the monitoring and productivity features. I promise, said Courtney Cavey, probably I with promise. a gun to her head. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so my personal advice is to use it as an advantage as a way to prove to your manager that you're capable of working autonomously. How about, like, you turn in the work that you do? I mean, like, <laughs> again, I get there isn't any, right? That's the problem. This is all just a fiction. It's all just fucking smoke and mirrors to justify a bunch of people's jobs. Ugh, goddamn. So Hubstaff allows users to view their activity range and aim to beat it. Most monitoring can be customized, so not all employees are tracked in the same way. So there's gamifying your job, dude. You, oh, know, yeah. you filed five pointless expense reports uh, yesterday. Try and do six today. Isn't that like, isn't that any job? It's like <laughs> you show up to work, you are there and you do it and you then go home. You beat the level. Like <laughs> how much, how much more granular does the gamification need to get? Yep. Like well, Greg, the check comes in the mail. That's like the boss, the the ending the uh level boss or like the uh your level up or something. Yeah. So here's uh here's for you answering your previous question about whether or not they're actually watching it. I've heard from multiple people whose employers have asked them to stay logged into a video call all day while they work, said Allison Green, founder of the workplace advice website Ask a Manager. 
In some cases, they're told it's so that they can talk throughout the day if questions come up. But in others, there's no pretense that it's for anything other than monitoring people to ensure that they're working. <laughs> so I'm just matching, you know, like Elvis with all the TVs like stacked, you know, in his living room. But it's just all the footage like rolling through of each one of your employees as you just stare and beam at it all pissed off like at one of them's eating a sandwich instead of busily typing. <laughs> yeah, uh, Foucault, 1984, et cetera, whatever. Yeah. So cool. Uh, you know, as as Colin would say, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. But yeah. Um, we'll have to get Colin's take on that since he's part of the tech conspiracy uh, when he comes back. All right. Well, that sucked. Um, which brings us to our other uh, best friend in the area, which is Boeing. Oh, hell and yeah. And in this case, uh, our headline, again, from the Seattle Times from Saturday is multinational Boeing supplier furloughs hundreds without pay during coronavirus shutdown. Oh, huh, interesting. Go on. Yeah. Who, uh, who does the reporting on Boeing again? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is our buddy Dominic Gates. Oh, yeah. Dominic Gates. Right. Right. Dominic and, Gates. And I got to tell you, when I first clicked on this article, of course, in my incognito browser, because I refuse to give the Seattle Times any money. Oh, yeah. Um, I uh I rest assured patrons was- suckers we don't spend our patreon money on subscriptions for fucking anything <laughs> <laughs> that we read on here so yeah. yeah exactly um yeah I opened it up kind of knowing how shitty it was gonna be because I know some shops that have laid people off and stuff oh uh, do only you? to find that, uh, yeah only to find this is a uh, way shittier than I thought it was gonna be well so. but I mean you know this is Dominic Gates's chance um mm-hmm. after having him and his paper have been called out by uh, our guest uh, a couple weeks ago, Charles Modede, and, you know, prove that he can ask the serious questions. He can, like, in light of a uh, round of layoffs, like Boeing has had so many times in the past and their suppliers, um, he can, like, dive in and really, like, ask the question, really kind of try and peek into the numbers and see, like, what's really going on and who this is benefiting and and what makes sense and what doesn't. So I assume he's going to take this opportunity to do that. Uh, You know... I actually think that Gates doesn't do a bad job in this article, but I will point out this because it's a Boeing affiliate and not Boeing itself. Uh-huh. But, but let's let's go ahead and read. All right. So while Boeing workers earn full pay during the company's two-week production shutdown, the 1,500 Washington state employees of French industrial giant Safran Group, who are also shut down for two weeks, will either have to apply for unemployment benefits or use their vacation time. In those subsidiary, Safran Cabin offered its mostly low-wage production workers a last-minute uh, paid time off or PTO alternative. This came with a peculiar condition. It required employees to sign a waiver allowing the company to claw back wages if the worker is laid off or leaves before accruing all the PTO used now. So they're like giving them a loan on their future earned PTO. Yeah, which they call it negative PTO. Yeah. <laughs> <Which> then, <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. It's Love like... It. It's like uh, a loan on some future labor that you'll do as an indentured servant now. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, uh, I was also very excited to learn that I actually know some of the companies in the Safran group and they all fucking suck. But aren't the uh, French Boeing's arch enemies? Shows yeah, otherwise weird. we really are, I guess. Yeah, weird how capital works like that. Huh? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, Zodiac is like one of their big employers. And I can attest that Zodiac is an absolute fucking shithole. We used to get people from Zodiac all the time. And it was like, he was like bringing in refugees or something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so quote quote it shows how cheap they really are said one worker at Saffron's plant in Marysville that's Zodiac uh, which makes aircraft interiors and some structural parts employment lawyer Jason R- Ritterizer 
not a real name, of the Seattle law firm HKM said the waiver implies the company could potentially force employees even a year from now to pay back some of the wages provided during the shutdown. That's a protection that seems greedy at best and potentially against the law, he said. Imagine living in a country where where a lawyer has to be like, I think that might be against the law. It's not clearly against the law. Amazing. (laughs) So another red flag. Think of how this would play out, right? It's like you take your paid time off to you two two weeks of paid time. Then you're probably still laid off. Maybe then you come back to work and you start accruing that time off, which you probably get of since I guess they're starting it now. They're not starting like since some time in the past. So it's like you'd have to work a year or something, right, to accrue mm-hmm. that time off. Meanwhile, they lay you off. So what that would mean is you'd work and then the, the you'd be told, by the way, we are laying you off today. And what they wouldn't mention, because they've already told them now, months earlier, is that their last check will have deducted from it those two weeks of paid time off they worked. And so they will get no last check. Yeah, I mean, that's the real deal. I mean, like, they seem to have left open this loophole for themselves where, you know, say they... Look, they're going to be furloughed for more than two weeks. This two-week thing is nonsense. Um, But if they, say, go try and find another job in that time... I mean, they kind of let this loophole open where they might somehow try and pry that money out of you, yeah. which is uh, really fascinating. So uh, let's get into some other things of how normal and on board, <laughs> above board this whole thing was. So another red flag, he said, is that Saffron Cabin gave workers less than a day's notice on Wednesday to either sign up for the extra PTO or go on unemployment. Some employees who don't work on Wednesdays learned of the shutdown from home with no way to sign the waiver. <laughs> So sending last minute notices compelling employees to waive their potential rights seems suspect, said the lawyer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's such a like dumb and bullshit thing. It's it's hard exactly to figure out, like, is Saffron trying to force them on to, to go on to unemployment and not have to pay anything out? Or they try to just get a bunch of people on the hook to where they, you know, if they continue working for them, they now owe them money. Uh, it's a little hard to figure out exactly what their plot I mean, is here. PR but it's clearly bad. They can say like, hey, we yeah. offered this pay time off thing and they just did a really shitty version of it. I mean, seems like the right answer is to take the paid time off. Unemployment will be there when they finally lay you off in the end. I mean, but it's a mm-hmm. finite amount of money once for your year, you know? Yeah. So... The notice informed employees they could use paid time off and could even claim an extra 80 hours of, quote, negative PTO, which would cover the full two-week suspension even if they had not yet accrued any PTO. But to use the PTO, they had to apply that day and sign an agreement stating, should I be released from the company for any reason, I authorize Saffron Cabin to deduct any owed PTO from my final wages. (sighs) Yeah, I mean, it's like it's not it's not like these people just started working there. Like how if you're going to presumably like if they if you're instituting some paid time off scheme, like these people have like worked there, you could say, hey, everyone who's worked here for a year or more has this two weeks of paid time off. So there's no negative anything. So they're trying to just they're find they creatively sat around in a room and figure out what's the way we can say we're offering paid time off and have just the absolutely shittiest version of it. Yeah, exactly. Well, our uh, lawyer goes on 
There's some responsibility, especially on large multinational corporations, that they bear the risk in these situations, not their employees, especially not minimum wage manufacturing workers. And while low-wage workers often live paycheck to paycheck, a big company is in a much better position to take on risk in an emergency like the current economic meltdown because it's likely they will get some form of government assistance or relief down the road, if not immediately. Well, he's making a moral case here, not a legal one. <laughs> yeah. um, not in America. I mean, obviously, we have no rights. Just think about the fact that the people making the parts in the plane, you're, the Boeing plane you're flying on, are making minimum wage. Yep. Think about that. And next time minimum you wage. get on a Boeing plane, which I... I I'm just never going to do ever again for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, minimum wage and at Zodiac working 60 to 70 hour weeks, usually minimum. Cool. Um, I mean, even if so, it is just the interior, I don't give a shit. I'm not doing it. Yeah. So because Saffron takes advantage of the state's aerospace tax breaks, according to the most recent filing in 2018, the three Saffron cabin plants saved a total of $676,000 in taxes. It must also file a wage and benefit information annually. So first off, in 2018, we gave this company, just yeah. wrote them a check, $676,000. <laughs> so uh, so keep that in mind. The latest detailed wage and benefit information um, uh, is available from 2017, because it's a 2018 filing. That year at the Bellingham plant, for example, a fifth of the production workers earned less than $15 per hour, and 57% of them earned less than $20 per hour. Only 65% of eligible employees uh, there were enrolled in the company medical plan. <laughs> So honest that 65% seems very high to me. But yeah, um, yeah, th- those are the people making your planes, guys. <laughs> yeah, do you get do you have like negative health care too? You're like, uh, listen, if you uh get sick and have to be have to leave work permanently, we reserve the right to claw back any um you know uh medical expenses that we've uh you know paid out over the years. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, just fucking ghoulish, and and again, I mean, every time these tax breaks are made for these giant companies, every time some just check is written to them by the fucking governor or whatever, we're always told about how they're creating jobs and how important they are to the community, and you know, just another moment to to remember that's all fucking bullshit, right? These people don't give a fuck about you, and you know, well, they're creating they're, low wage jobs with no security, no benefit. Mm-hmm. Or low benefits, and um, we're just supposed to be fucking thankful for it. And uh, this whole industry that we were so we've been so desperate to keep here in this in Washington State, and given them you know millions in uh, tax breaks and other subsidies over the last over my lifetime, uh, is like been completely hollowed out uh, for the benefit of stockholders and executives. Um, it's, you know, just a, a fucking bank robbery that's been going on this whole time. And now that the, that great all the all that great, you know, job creation that we wanted to be here is going to turn out to be meaningless in this crisis we're facing. Yep. Well, let's go ahead and finish out with just one last story. Uh, this one is a follow up on a story that we had uh, talked about maybe a month ago. Uh, This is from Crosscut, and it's uh, from earlier, I guess yesterday. But labor tensions and coronavirus collide at Swedish Hospital ICU. So it's been nearly two months since Swedish caregivers ended a three-day labor strike over staff ratios and pay, and then were locked out of the hospital when they tried to return. 
And it's been one month since the first confirmed death from COVID-19 in Washington state launched a frenzied period for the region's medical providers. The twin crises at Swedish have now run headlong into one another as nurses are being asked to do more with less because of the coronavirus at a time when they and their unions say they were already being asked to do more with less. Well, that's, you know, I mean, yeah, this is obviously emblematic of, you know, everything that's happening in America, like our healthcare system absolutely stretched thin. And that's what you have to picture is, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we had talked, we've talked about the labor struggle of Swedish on the show, but obviously there's been a lot of, you know, reporting about that. Um, There are, you know, particular things, but like at every, even our, even, you know, the best hospitals you would think of in this region, anywhere, like the best hospitals in America are still, being staffed by people who are working, who are doing the jobs of, you know, one person who's doing the jobs of three people 40 years ago, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, part of, you know, everything yeah, as a big part in um, sort of medical technology over the last few decades is creating devices that automate um, medical personnel, such as, you know, you used to go in when you went to the doctor, you would, go in and this will still some happen sometimes you have uh, a nurse an rn actually uh take your blood pressure um with a cut with a cuff they manually pump they manually um uh take your they manually count your pulse um time your pulse um they you know they do all this manually well that works very well it's what they're trying to do but it takes more people to do. So it's just like any other industry. Now there's a machine that they put a little oxygen sensor on your finger. They you slide into a cuff and the machine does it. And what that means is there's one of those machines in every room and there's uh, a third of the nurses that there once were. So the nurse has this tool. They're like, oh, great. I have this tool. I don't have to do this manually, but they're scrambling from place to place. And that's just like... It, across the health sector wide everything we've cut down the capacity in medical beds i mean that's being talked a lot about recently but you also just have to understand that even at like so my my mother worked at uw medical center for years she's a nurse and you know she talked about like how at the end of her career just she retired last year she was working she she there was more shit for her to do in less time you know for the many for many years she told she would tell me about she would literally work like hours off the clock because she couldn't work overtime but she had work to get done i mean she did this for uh, you know more than a decade uh it's insane but that's that's how our health system works yeah i mean it, this is one of the things that we talked about when we talked about the swedish strike was that uh completely ignored of course by the seattle times and whatnot but uh you know, their big demand was more than just about money, which is certainly what it raises, but their big demand actually had to do with work conditions and with overwork. Mm-hmm. And uh, the American healthcare system has been deliberately, essentially, destroyed from like, it's been deliberately eaten from the inside out uh, through essentially, yeah, laying off four people and telling the last one left that they got to do their job now, too. Um, yeah, my mom was a social worker for decades and uh, in Texas or whatever. Same story, and that she constantly was just doing more work every year because, you know, she was in a department with five people one year that was then four the next, three the next, two, and then just her, right? And this, I mean, 
it is not just coronavirus. It's collapsing our healthcare system. It's it's, it's, austerity. it's fundamental makeup. Yeah, austerity. It's fundamental makeup, right? And so I, I think keeping that in mind, uh, this nurse's comments are worth thinking about here. So she says, we're having this internal conflict right now, said one intensive care unit nurse who asked not to be identified for fear of retribution. Again, a very normal thing in a very normal country. On the one hand, the nurses are more motivated than ever to work extra shifts and help stretched colleagues. On the other hand, they don't want to signal that the current staffing levels are acceptable. So basically for the nurses, they're stuck in this spot, right? Of like, okay, if we put forward a Herculean effort. You'll like, show that you can do it. it yeah. And, and that will that it's be physically possible. Yeah, that's the new normal. So maybe in a non-pandemic situation, there should only be half of you guys. So we'll just lay people off because, after this. Because right? you can physically do it because it can get done. I mean, I that this is something this that rings super true for the entire history of my like work in my idiotic career is mm-hmm. falling budgets, falling staffing numbers, falling and being asked to execute the same thing. And everybody, you know, you just you you're like, okay, guys, this one's going to be hard and everyone does it. And then it's like, oh, I guess they're all going to be like this from now on because instead of having, you know, so the whole thing is devolved from where you had strong unions, which had everybody was a craft person who had, who had a job, who had people, you know, below them doing a job, who everyone had specialties, everyone was taken care of. You showed up and did a, a dignified day of work. This is this version's like long before I got into the business. Uh, <laughs> You know, everyone did a dignified day of work. And then, and now, now, no matter what you're working on, even whether it's a, you know, uh, whatever, it's everyone is scrambling for all the hours that they're there, scrambling to get everything, just never stopping, eating, standing up, and you're working mm-hmm. 12 to 16 hour days. Uh, you know, that's just, it's every, it's every business. It's every, it's what our whole economy has become. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had a friend who used to work at BMC West, which is like a, a timber lumber, you know, company up in Everett. And, uh, you know, he told me that they used to play this little trick, right? Whenever they have like a lot of younger people working is they say like, hey, if we hit this, uh, you know, our monthly number is here. If we exceed it by like 15% this month, we'll give you guys a $2,000 bonus or some, you know, amount, which of course all the young guys got very excited and were like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm gonna work extra hours. I'm gonna work extra hard to get this done. All the old guys are trying to convince them don't do this because that number you hit is now going to be the standard that we have to hit every month. And of course you never convince them. And lo and behold, the next month that, you know, extended number is now the standard that you have to hit. And no more bonus. Right? And no more bonus, right? And so, I mean, this is the game that gets played, but I, you know, for people currently uh, enjoying this pandemic, you should remember they're doing this with the hospitals, right? Like, this is what your nurse, like what nurses and people in the hospitals have to think about rather than just being concerned about this pandemic, right? Because that's how fucking gross and disgusting our healthcare system is. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, this, you know, I, fuck, I mean, this is kind of related. Obviously, it's because of this, the depth of this crisis. But um, <laughs> both my um, shrink and my physical therapist, I uh, was talking to both of them this week. And I asked them and they confirmed. They're like, yeah, I'm, I'll be in the ER and the ICU um, dealing with coronavirus mm-hmm. patients. My, my my psychiatrist and my physical therapist. Because they're doctors and yeah. they work for UW and they're just going to get called in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because that's we, you know, we don't have a health system that uh, has uh, like at this point, it'll be you are you have a medical credential 
great. <laughs> um, yeah. Get it. You you went to medical school. Uh, it doesn't matter what your your um, how far afield your uh, specialty is. Uh, you are now mm-hmm. assigned to uh, the emergency room. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's worth noting that uh, while our hospitals remain just criminally understaffed so that that kind of thing has to happen, uh, Cuba is still exporting doctors and stuff because they have so fucking many of them. Oh, so, so it's it, possible. Yeah, it's actually a choice. Yeah, as a society. Mm, <laughs> weird. God. So, um, so two nurses in the hospital's intensive care unit told Crosscut they feel unsafe and underpaid and that staffing is tight. Meanwhile, contracted crisis nurses brought in to boost staffing are being paid more than the in-house crews, which Swedish staff members say serves as a daily reminder that the union still doesn't have a contract and that they have not been given raises. Some veteran ICU nurses have already left or are threatening to leave, the nurses said. So, again, for people who are not aware of this, when you have staffing issues at your company, uh, rather than pay your workers higher wages or offer higher wages for new hires, what you do is you bring in temporary workers. So you pay three to four times as much as you would one of the workers actually in the hospital uh, because you don't want to get anybody in the hospital thinking or at the company thinking that they deserve that much money. Yeah. Uh, Fuck, man. Which, again... What was the end result of that? The nurses are saying, well, now we just have nurses that are thinking of just quitting and leaving. Well, and honestly, they should. Well, they should. You know, but this is again. not how people should be in the middle of a fucking crisis. No, but unfortunately, that's how shitty, that's how shitty a position these people are in. And they should just fucking yeah. strike again. They should go on strike. In the crisis. Yeah. Yeah. They should go on strike like, what are you tomorrow. Do? Yeah. I mean, you can't. You got to get. I mean, every. I mean, Jesus. They're going to. There, we could. I mean, we could actually see if they. God, I mean, fuck. A week ago, I was worried about the Trump administration doing Heronvolk welfare. Okay, now <laughs> it looks like they're actually just going to say fuck it and uh, try and send people back to work. At which point, the only possible answer is a general strike. So, yeah. Who knows? Well, but it's going to be fucked up because it's like going to be every state's going to be different, you know. So, you know, there's going to have be like just absolutely exploding numbers in Texas. And we're going to have to stay down, locked down in Washington for like the entire year because where even though we're keeping our uh, like numbers low here, if if it does flatten out, look, it looks like it might because other states are just like running wild and uh, <laughs> letting it get completely out of control. So this could all be over. You know, in like 10 weeks or, you know, maybe less, but uh, it's going to go on for a year uh, in in states like Washington and which will just break, you know, just utterly break uh, these states, these states that have, you know, human beings in the administration, even if they're kind of stupid and feckless and uh, crooked, depending on who we're talking about. Uh, but you know, are still gonna like do something. I don't know. We'll see. Once yeah, well, it gets our, bad in places like Texas and Florida, then you'll see them actually stepping up. But like, well, uh, apparently, whatever. it's getting bad in Florida right now. But yeah. like, I mean, the thing is, is that once again, our completely stupid federal system, which which is doing exactly what it's supposed to do, which is ensure that, that like no cohesive like response can come out of this. But it's just gonna keep this virus going around and around and around. And, you know, outside, like, any sort of actual, you know, national leadership that wanted to do anything about it, uh, 
you know, that, that, you know, this could go on for months. Right. And the thing is, the national leadership doesn't want to do anything about it because Republicans and Democrats both don't want to address the healthcare system. So this is what it is. Well, it, it is, you know, it is a case also. I mean, it's, Man, it's fucked. Uh, I mean, it's like, I guess it is actually like everything else. It's all of these things are actual real underlying problems that have existed for a long time. But yes, the Trump administration is even worse. And though they're really they're really trying to actually beat that that uh, model at this point, I think they're really trying. Trump is really like going for the gold and have his administration actually be re- like fully twice as bad as the underlying situation like they're really trying i don't know if they're gonna make it like on everything mm-hmm. else it's like a toss-up you know like oh yeah they're doing a lot of the same things that have always been the case or were the case under obama um and that's this you know this uh problem we have in our politics where you know the trump deranged like can't see past uh mm-hmm. trump and really look to a a deeper analysis of anything but in this situation god he's really trying to actually overshadow uh how broken everything else is uh he's trying i don't know if he can really do it but um he's man he's giving it an effort <laughs> all right well the safety of our caregivers and patients is our top priority especially during these unprecedented times swedish spokesperson tiffany moss said but Swedish staff who spoke with Crosscut say they need more, more equipment, more hazard pay, more permanent staff. What they don't need, they say, are chocolate fountains, referencing flyers and break rooms that promise games and a chocolate fountain for employees. We're not dogs that are going to sit for a treat, said a second ICU nurse. We're humans. We need to feel validated and valued for the hard work that we're doing here. Give us some you know, personal protective equipment and give us some hazard pay. So... This is sort of the common trick that management uses, right? Of like, uh, what if we just had some employee picnics instead of more pay? Pizza party. Yeah, we just had an office pizza party. Pizza PPE, pizza party entertainment. Exactly. You know, I was very happy at one point that I I started convincing workers at my old job of every time they'd have like a pizza party or some dumb shit like that, to be like, hey, instead of the pizza party, you should ask them for the money that they're paying for the pizza. Like, if you're going to spend pennies on us, I at least want the pennies. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, All right, so there are tricks to managing a pandemic with a scarcity of resources. When sterilizing the only N95 mask each of them have for their shift, nurses have learned to only lightly dab it with cleaner. Drench it, and it will become limp, and the next time its owner enters the intensive care unit, a draft of air may sneak in through the sides. (sighs) When they they do take the mask off, they tuck it into a paper bag and write their names across the side for later use. For protective hoods once intended for single use, repeated sterilization can cause the collars to sag, so it's good to have a designated safety person on hand who can recognize when the seal may be broken. They learn to write backwards. Coming and going from patients' rooms uh, uh, uses up protective equipment, so nurses have taken to scrawling messages, instructions, requests, etc., on the windows for their coworkers on the outside to read. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. Innovation. But even... Yeah, but even, yeah, exactly. Well, see, austerity is forcing the uh, layabout worker to, uh, you know, innovate and find, you know, interesting new ways instead of just, you know, sleeping under an apple tree. Yeah. uh, And, you know, we're going to be saved by 
all the like Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who are coming up with uh, cheap, quick, uh, disposable um, protective equipment uh, design oh, yeah. that can be mass produced by 3D printer, and that's uh, that's the lesson we'll learn. Well, I've I've already enjoyed my quick and easy to use um, COVID nineteen test that the Gates Foundation created and Amazon distributed uh, that we heard about a month ago. I, I've enjoyed that. It's definitely not a complete fiction that nobody ever revisited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's definitely not the uh, the submarine that fucking uh, uh, the Tesla guy kept threatening, that Elon Musk kept yeah. threatening to build. <laughs> well, he keeps threatening to build uh, the, uh, the ventilators, ventilators too. God, I'm sure it'll work just as well as his cars. I can't wait to be the first person on a ventilator that the ventilator just like em- like self emulates on me. No, no, no. That is that you are onto something there because what you, what is happening. I mean, it's one thing for you know, I have seen you know people like touting their new oh these brilliant new designs for a cheap, quick uh, face mask, you know, or a um a face shield. It's like great, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, yes, they need to be mass produced quickly. Probably just getting the factories that are already make them and telling them to make more of them and paying them for it is probably going to be actually even faster than scaling up production on your weird Mm -hmm. thing. But a lot of, you know, factories in local areas are like retooling to make versions of things that they can because, you know, whatever. That's great. But a lot of um, designs are coming out of several different companies for ventilators that are quicker, cheaper, um like sort of lightweight versions and most medical equipment is extremely expensive it's designed to take a beating work for many years uh be reusable be sanitizable um and stand up to all this you know use and sanitize and cleaning and whatever what they're coming out with is all these like quick cheap and dirty um ventilator designs which, you know, made of, you know, lighter materials. It's just like all these things that can get out right now. I've seen a number of different companies and small, like, you know, inventors and stuff. There's one from the, uh, uh, what's the vacuum guy? Uh, oh, um, the Dyson. Dyson. Yes. Dyson yeah. is putting out a, 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 uh, ventilator with their, you know, uh, bladeless, <laughs> Uh, technology, whatever, but it looks like it's also designed to be cheap. And Mm -hmm. what's interesting is you can see the same thing happening as with like um, efficiency, right? It's like this, these will be the new ventilators, you know, why, you know, uh, hospitals now will have, you know, underfunded hospitals, right? Like the struggling hospitals in inner cities, places that, you know, don't have funding two years from now, the only ventilators they will have are these used pieces of shit that were made to be basically disposable in this emergency. And they'll have those for the next 20 years. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's gonna be a revolution in like shitty, not functional healthcare equipment that comes out of this. And the big part of it too, is it's this absolute well, cult of innovation, which is really just, you know, fucking money grabbing, but efficiency. And as this is a yeah. moment for liquidation, right? This is like, a moment to um, sort of reset the tables uh, to buy all these companies that are clearing out a bunch of staff and layoffs under the cover of coronavirus don't have to bring all those people back, right? Like everyone will use this um, to get bailed out, but then also to uh, 
just change the paradigm going forward. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember, too, that when, like, say, Bill Gates is uh, sitting around twiddling his thumbs, uh, inventing a new coronavirus test that will you know, be up and running two years from now, uh, rather than just using his considerable wealth to create testing stations to use the tests that actually already exist and we know work, um, that while he's sitting there twiddling his thumbs and people are dying, one, he knows for a fact that he won't die from this, or at least he believes that. And then two, like, you know, Bill Gates thinks the world's overpopulated as it is. You know, Word. and that's the that's the problem with all these fucking freaks, right? That that yes. that is their view of this whole thing. No, absolutely. I mean that. I absolutely that is it's very clear. It's very clear uh, that now Bill Gates himself has been on the TV saying, "No, we need to shut the country down for six to ten weeks, or people are going to die. We're going to overwhelm the health system." He's doing his like sounding smart about it, um, mm-hmm. but you know that he, even he, and fucking every other fucking rich person they're all fucking malthusians and you know that is i mean we're seeing that saying like oof man the economy versus oof a couple of million lives i mean come on and you know at the end of the day it's not just that it's not just that you know i mean in new york cuomo's getting all this praise but of course they're keeping thousands of they're putting more people in jail and in prison in new york uh and mm-hmm. it's like you know they're hearing they're reading it in the press. They're hearing from their people like this is going to be a disaster. And they're thinking, oh, well, I mean, great. We'll kill half the population of our prisons. That'll take care of that. Right. In the yeah, back of their mind, they may not be saying it out loud. But what they're thinking yeah. is I'm a leader. I'm I'm in power. I'm here to make the tough decisions. And this is, you know, uh, this is the thing. You know, if that if this is the choice I have to make, I have to consider that a bunch of the poorest uh most marginalized uh least white uh people dying off oof man you know gosh that would probably be better all around yeah and i mean you know testament to that is there's a known outbreak in rikers island right yeah. now and notice how little you hear about it on the news right i mean they're going to kill who knows how many people in that fucking prison oh my god i mean it's up. it's on i've i have you know yeah i've been reading about it it's on track for because they're all just crammed in there and they're not getting out. Mm-hmm. They're on track to basically in a, within a, some period of time have a hundred percent fucking um, infection and yeah. or as close to it as that is, it is like biologically possible to get. And I mean, are those you, you think those uh, prisoners are going to get the, the best care. They're going to get the, the ventilators. Yeah. They're going to be the the big shipment of ventilators that are going to finally come in from somewhere. Going to stop off first at Rikers and give them the ones they need. When we're down to triaging, it's not just going to you know it's not even going to be on a patient level. It's going to be the ventilators just don't show up and they don't transfer them out of their you know they'll make you know they've I'm sure they've got a small infirmary probably right, but they'll just okay great the whole place is a hospital now, and yeah. then it's a morgue. Jesus Christ. All right. Well, it's going to happen everywhere. I mean, we're looking at a genocide of the poor and marginalized in this country. And I mean, it's going to be like a few fucking rich people will die because some people Mm -hmm. are just not going to be able to get away with this. And some people are going to have some rich old fucks are going to have are going to get unlucky with it. And it's going to kill them, even though they're going to have the the, just absolute world class health care. They're going to have 
a, a the fanciest ventilator and three more backups, you know, sitting there oh, at their bedside in their mansion or on their yacht with a doctor full time, you know, for each billionaire. And if they actually get infected. Meanwhile, I mean, we know like you right, David Geffen is like on his yacht going like, hey, I'm cool. It's all good, everybody. Um, that's probably <laughs> where Bill Gates is, too. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. He probably is out in Lake Washington. Um, we know we know that a bunch of them have essentially fled to their bunkers. I mean, I don't, I don't know that people really put together what that means that the wealthy all own bunkers and shit. <laughs> like that's what they think of you. Like that. Well, at this that's point, once they're all there too. Yeah. You got to think about once they're all there and they know they're all there and they have like a class bunker consciousness. That's like okay, we're all set. <laughs> well, then really, gosh, I mean, kind of the rules are out the window, aren't they? I mean. Yeah, let the virus rage, but I mean, we should really think about letting the missiles fly too, because I mean, we're good, we're cool. Yeah. I mean, if we're gonna do this, like, let's really do it. Let's really like take care of this population problem. Yeah, I mean, there's a very re- real chance that we come out of this with uh, this country in particular being uh, much stupider and uh, much more awful than it was going in, and uh, that's something we should take seriously. But let's get back. I just want to close with this very ominous statement from one of the nurses at Swedish. Uh, She says, we're all very much on edge. We're trying to be as kind as possible, but we're also very short-tempered and emotional. One by one, we're all cracking. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, our healthcare system can't withstand this. They're already cracking cracking for for over a fucking week. They've been... They're all going to get sick as well. Every single healthcare provider who's working on these ICUs and in the emergency rooms... They are Mm -hmm. all going to get sick and then you're going to be, and that's going to, it'll probably, you know, that's going to hit in a wave like the rest of it, right? It's going to hit in a very quick way because they're not doing social distancing. And they, even if they had the protective equipment and they had like just the speed and the number of hours and the number of patients that you're hearing about being crowded into these rooms, even if they had the fucking mask for that, they changed like every 10 minutes they're still all going to get it. But without that stuff, they're all going to get it at the same fucking time. We're going to hear in a week from now that half the fucking uh, healthcare professionals in these places where it's going on in New York and in Seattle are going to be dropping. And then they're going to be called. They're going to have to call in every fucking doctor and nurse in the entire state of Washington, right in, in like, again, every fucking shrink and uh, physical therapist and chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> they won't let the chiropractors in. So it's all Reiki healing. Yeah, no, right? Like, <laughs> it'd be funny if Reiki was the cure. <laughs> well, I mean, um, and the, everybody has to go to Bastier now. Like the virus, it, it hasn't even peaked here, and they're already <laughs> fucked. And it, this might still be going at this volume. Fucking a yep. month from now, even if we lock down, it might still be at this daily volume of cases and deaths. It might still be. Uh, at the same rate a month from now starting to level out and yeah. I mean that's just gonna they're all they're gonna they're fucked they're fucked they're just gonna it's gonna collapse and if that happens then you're gonna see a death rate that is you know much is like outsized compared to anywhere in the world yeah I mean I, I think by now um, you know I I one, the U.S. is going to fly by Spain on the as far as the number of dead, but uh, very soon. But uh, 
as far as what country, at least of the industrialized world, that's going to get the worst of this, it's the United States. I don't think anybody has any disagreement on that. Yeah, point. I think like, I it's think a fucking disaster. I'm unclear as to why the, you know, in Italy, why it took off so early. But I th- I don't think it's hard to see uh, like that it's no fucking coincidence that it's Italy and uh, that in Europe, it's Italy and Spain um, yeah. that are having such a hard time though though actually what's interesting though i'm gonna actually take this back because greece actually doesn't seem to be doing that bad um i mean but who knows i mean maybe maybe it didn't get to them soon and maybe their wave is coming because they have also i mean even worse than fucking italy and spain have been hit with just economic devastation and crushing austerity over the past decade um not yeah. Bringing them probably to the level of the United States healthcare system, which is fucking nuts to think about, but uh, not even, cl- yeah, I mean, even Italy, Italy, not close to that. I don't, I don't know. We'll see about Greece and I don't really know what the state of their healthcare system is like, but it looked like right now um, their, their trajectory doesn't, didn't look that bad. Um, but who knows? Maybe it's just because it's very early there. Yeah, and the thing is, is that for those who don't know what the fuck we're talking about, is that the EU, even though Italy and Spain are within the EU, there's certain members of the EU that are for plundering, and certain members of the EU are for taking that plunder. And Italy and Spain have been on the wrong side of the austerity stick for decades now. And of course, their healthcare services were the first things that you know the German bankers demanded they got. Uh, you know, it, it's it, again, I, I think all the cruelest and uh, most awful inhuman elements of capitalism are just slowly being laid bare by this crisis. And uh, it's, I, I, you know, what can you say about it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all been said. It'll all be said. I mean, uh, yeah, I, you know, uh, I wish I knew how to say something uplifting to people. Uh, I, I mean, or like hopeful. I mean, I don't, I just, I'm, I'm kind of not very useful for that, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the only thing you do is with those people you're still in contact with and stuff. I mean, they're going to, in the United States, especially going to use every bit of, uh, lies and propaganda to divert your attention from this disaster as much as, you know, in their role in it, as much as humanly possible, everything from this, you know, bullshit, like we got to fight the Chinese now over this to, you know, conspiracy theories about bioweapons to all sorts of other dumb shit. And, well, the real poisonous you know, one is going to on the ball. Trump saying he's doing a great job and that's going to yeah. work with a lot of people um, because yeah, that's because that's the channel they're on. And I mean, that's my fucking, you know, my my Trump dad and I assume my Trump mom, uh, you know, they're they're gonna be able to live through if they do there's no no guarantee uh you know over a million maybe multi-millions dead uh and still go like that wasn't so bad gosh thank god we had donald trump in there yeah because we don't yeah i mean uh you know i mean again like it comes down to this this thing that is awkward and um hard to swallow because we do understand that these are deep structural issues, but you know, it is also true that our, you know, institutions, you know, have been weakened under this president. And it's like, though, I guess the real institutions that are 
key in this factor of people's just like the propaganda are things that were actually, you know, I mean, we just don't have like a useful media. Uh, we don't have uh, organization or community where that bullshit like this would have harder time penetrating. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's worth uh, thinking about uh, in when, you know, when the military and the police start working together and talking about counterinsurgency, their whole sort of idea behind it when you would read through their manuals was that if you destroy the sort of communal infrastructure enough, even when things are naked, even when things are obvious, people have nowhere to go. They have no one to talk to, you know, like they have no ability to mount an effective response. Yeah. And um, that could be just true of the United States that at this point, the country is pretty much just helpless to do anything. We're all um, uh, just individuals uh we have no community uh no structure nothing to you know rely on and reach out um so i mean we have podcasts oh thank god so uh to everyone out there listening you know uh we genuinely hope you're doing well uh and that you're healthy and you know uh if uh you know, if you got any ideas for how this podcast can be more um, sort of uplifting or uh, for for you at this time, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. And if you know of things going on, uh, you know, absolutely let us know. Um, you know, uh, I guess right now it's 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 uh, it's bleak out there. But that being said, we should probably close out this uh, extremely black pilled episode. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. For listeners there, we have another Mechanical Freak Presents episode that's going to come out later oh, yeah, this exciting. week. Yeah, in this case, we're interviewing a friend of mine who studies, uh, is a historian who studies China, and we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, viral outbreak there, the sort of Chinese state and how it functions, and the American response to it. Uh, so I think we're going to probably have that out like free and on Patreon on Thursday. Uh, just because we know you guys need that content. Or we won't. Or it'll come out on Patreon on Thursday and it'll come out free the week after. But we'll see. But So that's just a series that we've been, kind of been doing to sort of break up these episodes a little bit. Yeah, I'm super excited for that. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, stay safe out there. Try and, you know, uh, keep in contact with your friends and stuff. You know, get them on, you know, Google Hangout or whatever other, you know, dumb video chat. The video chat is fucking stupid. It's silly, but it is nice to do. Uh, last night we did a six hour run through of the entire Tiger King series with me and like 14 other people. And it was very nice. So highly suggest that people do that. Try and keep people's spirits up a little bit. Yeah. I haven't checked out Tiger King. Oh, I might as well, you know, um, make the movie recommendation for the week, which is the original planet of the ape series. Uh, <laughs> hint, hint. Uh, it's it's wild. It's wild shit. No time to go into it, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Planet Apes series. Uh, first movie is clearly the the. Are you talking about the TV show? But the movies themselves oh, are the also movies, worth revisiting. Yeah. No, not the fucking yeah, no. the seventies TV show. No, <laughs> no, and not the no. fucking. Uh, I'm not well, talking f- about the fucking uh, Tim Burton shit either. I'm talking about the 1968 Fox movie Planet of the Apes with Charlton Heston, which is a weird, corny, fucking campy. Uh, sci-fi idea it's a fucking french novel um but well, and written it, by uh the twilight zone guy which will be very apparent when you when you uh, the screenplay written by him which will be very apparent oh yeah yeah, yeah okay yeah 
Um, yeah, and then it's very, but it's it's like lightning in a bottle, like actually like a brilliant film. Don't look at the poster. Try to like click on it and not look at anything because like it, there's spoiler. Like anytime you see any art for this thing at this point, it's it, there's spoilers. Um, it's extremely cute that you think anybody doesn't know just dude, by osmosis. People have not, the I'm telling you, people have not seen that fucking movie. They have no fucking idea. It's lost to history at this point. But the the remaining four films, the sequels, yeah. get progressively cheaper and and like cornier and more, and more insane. But each one of them is like completely different and has and bad. I mean, in a lot of ways, they're bad. But they have they're so fucking weirdly memorable. There's each one of them has some just bizarrely memorable shit in it. And some of them actually, I mean, the third and fourth one are actually kind of like good camp sci-fi weird ass movies with weird stories they're cool they're fun but obviously that this you know that was hint that was the little sketch we did at the beginning is plenty oh yeah yeah and this and the sequels of play the apes totally worth watching because they are campy as great success and also uh nothing in them will be spoiled to you and kind of like the tiger king they take some some real twists and turns that you and won't they'll see stick coming. with you like there yeah. are images in each of them that you will like not forget ever because they're just so <laughs> bizarre and are actual like, you know, cultural uh, touchstones in some cases. Yeah. I feel like, you know, like jokes on mystery science theater and probably I'm now thinking South park and like the Simpsons. There's a lot, it, it, there's a lot of visual imagery from those films that are like in the DNA of a certain, like whatever we're going on too long about this. It was just a like post-apocalyptic uh, sketch yeah. to do at the beginning, but Watch that, and I'll throw out just one if you just need some light viewing to take your mind off of things you don't have to pay attention to. On Hulu, there's a 2001 film that I never knew existed called Chateau with Paul Rudd and um, his co-star from 40-Year-Old Virgin. And uh, they're just two brothers who uh, inherit a chateau in France that shot like a 70s art film and is very funny. Paul Rudd attempts to do a French accent the entire time. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> okay. Uh, very light. Very. You'll forget it probably a day later, but uh, eh, this is the time for those. So chateau and Hulu. Cool. All right. Uh, Brian, everybody. Goodbye. We love you. Yeah. Stay safe out there and uh, we'll see you later in the week. I guess. Okay. Bye bye. Bye.